my guest today is somebody who makes absolute sense to talk to us about the past one year can you imagine joining as the head of product of a travel company on the 1st of april 2020 i think one of the massively hit sectors recouped through the through the next few months and what we saw make my trip do was phenomenal kapil varma is now heading product at make my trip and the past 12 months have been an absolute roller coaster ride for him not only that he takes us through some of his journeys in his past organizations like adobe and amazon and through his experiences as a product designer he unravels some of the most interesting models that one can adopt while running such a large team well this is kapil varma for you head of product at make my trip on design grid Kapil, firstly, thank you so much for being on Design Grid. It is such a pleasure to have you. I think I am super excited to discuss this industry of travel, and it's been it's been on everyone's mind because people just want to get out of their homes right now. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation with you. Thanks for having me, Saksham. Really look forward to talking about like you know how we actually dealt with this crisis and what products we built. So really looking yeah. forward to. It. Amazing! I I can't imagine a better time to be discussing what a, a you know a a business like Make My Trip had in store for uh, for a uh, for as you said a crisis like the pandemic. And uh, with you being here in terms of how the product evolved, I think the synergy of all of these three, uh, as selfish as it sounds, is is really exciting for everyone to to hear and understand. I, while we we've come to make my trip and how the travel industry shaped up through the last few months, I'm going to take a step back and uh, dive into say where you began your career, right? Uh, why did you choose to get into product? And back in the day, the definitions, the boundaries weren't as defined as they are today, right? And yet, yet people chose product as a career and stuck to it. What was? Why did you take that decision? Yeah, I think uh, good question. And if I were to think back, I think probably there were two or three main reasons. Um, you know, I like problem solving, and that is something that like you know, it's actually at the heart of product management. Um, so that's what you do, and that's the most important aspect of product management. So that was one. Second is uh, as a product manager, sort of you are the CEO of that product, right? Because you know you actually are working with lots of different functions, be it engineering, be it design, be it business, right? But you are at the center of it, right? And so it was sort of like a general management kind of role in that sense. Yeah. And the third is like you know I'm an engineer by background, so sort of going back to my engineer roots and like you know building products, hopefully which customers love. Those were the three main reasons I would say I actually went into product management. So were were your roles or were your stints at uh, at McKinsey and Adobe as centric to products, or they were more generic because those were initial starting years of your career? So at Adobe, it was very much product. Uh, McKinsey, of course, it was like you know management consulting. So again, like a lot of focus on problem solving, but it could be like you know business problems as opposed to product. Uh, but Adobe was all product. Uh, there, I was actually leading the technical communication suite of products. Which were like you know six different products used by enterprises and SMBs to create various kinds of technical content and publish it to multiple channels and devices. So uh, Adobe was you know very much uh, product centric. Why why did uh, you decide to move out of say such a structured, well uh, balanced organization like in Adobe and move on to something slightly more agile, say like like in Amazon? What was that deflection point at that time? Yeah, so you know, Adobe was a great experience, and for me, it was basically the first time I was actually leading products. Uh, you know, in, in a very traditional sense of a way. Uh, and Amazon, because you know, I actually wanted to like work in the internet and e-commerce space. And then, secondly, at Amazon, like you know, the scale is something which is like you know unmatched. Yeah. Uh, the impact that you can drive uh, at Amazon in terms of products that you're building and the scale at which you're actually making that impact is actually much larger, and yeah. that was the reason why you know I actually moved to Amazon from 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 Adobe. 
and and is it so maybe it's still relevant today or maybe it wasn't at that point of time but the whole context of working in a slightly uh, faster leaner setup you know for product leaders or more entrepreneurial individuals is uh, is more palpable today was it even at that time and was one of those reasons uh, why you why you switched to a structure like amazon sorry can you can you repeat the question i didn't yeah understand. sure so hmm. so today if you look at look at companies or startups right or even unicorns for that matter the reason why people move in there from larger organizations is because autonomy entrepreneurship the spirit yeah. handling yeah. larger roles uh, yeah, yeah. or ownership was that one of the reasons what prompted you to move to a structure like amazon sorry saksham i think you have to pause the recording did you mean from amazon to see like you know very structured um, and like you know, actually work with global teams so uh, in terms of pace sometimes can be a bit slow that's why i actually want to clarify because it's not that like you know it was more agile and like you know less structured actually amazon was probably the opposite in, in many many regards in, in, yeah but yeah. yes from amazon to swiggy that would be true and that's why i actually thought i'll just clarify. so is 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 swiggy one of those reasons why uh after having worked in a slightly startupish environment did swiggy make more sense to then progress in a more ownership driven role yeah so you know at amazon as i mentioned you know uh, you work with global teams you work on global products uh, you work at a totally different level in terms of scale uh you yeah. know customer obsession is one thing which is really practiced at amazon uh, the company lives by it uh, daily whether it is you know yeah. the products that we build whether it is you know even performance assessment yeah. and like hiring and there's a long term focus right so amazon is a company where we would actually pick an area pick a problem and we would be at it for long term um and very very structured lot of focus on planning and up until then like you know basically actually had worked at only large companies you know yeah, in yeah. the world right the adobe yeah. the amazon yeah and i always want to kind of work in a in a smaller company and i like in a more in a growth stage company and swiggy was sort of that right uh, where not as structured as amazon but it was like you know growing very rapidly both geographically yeah. in terms of expanding into new cities uh, in terms of new product lines you know going from the core food delivery to swiggy store swiggy genie um, and a lot of interesting problems to work on and this was 2018ish if i remember this is 2018 yes that's when yeah. i actually, yeah joined yeah. swiggy yeah yeah and yeah you're right swiggy was uh, was blasting all over the place uh, the fierce battle between swiggy and zomato we uh, I, i remember with uh, with loyalty programs and new features being being rolled out what was the environment and culture like uh, in a product design team at swiggy yeah so i think it was uh, very entrepreneurial so as a pm you would actually define like you know your own scope and your own roadmap you had lot more autonomy Yeah. and there were so many at that time and probably it's even true right now there's so many interesting problems to work on uh, especially because it's like a three sided marketplace where you have the customer you have the delivery executive you know you have the restaurant so that makes it like you know even more complex and challenging some very very interesting problems to work on very very fast paced um, very informal base of collaboration because everybody was in in bangalore so right yeah. start like be like you know uh working with teams like you know, in US or Europe and so everybody was there so more informal ways of collaboration not as structured but like you know definitely very fast paced so uh that was sort of the culture and like you know different flavor of product management at swiggy compared to like you know some of the big companies actually at work at right and and i think uh the time you would have decided to move out of swiggy into make my trip i don't think there was anything like the corona virus looming over your mind at that time uh yeah that's that's right i mean <laughs> like you know when i actually had made that decision i mean travel was like you know one of the yeah. fastest growing sectors yes and yes there was yes. no evidence of uh, covid at that time yeah and and what so before we even get into make my trip what happened uh, you know what was the mindset we were going through because i remember march is when we went into lockdown at least in india yeah. and uh, and uh, mid march or, or or so and you jo- and you're joining at make my trip was that was on first april what were those thoughts going on in your mind how do you feel about it yeah i think the last 12 months um has been like a roller coaster i mean i mean not just for me personally i mean it is true for me personally but i think for the entire travel sector section um it has been a very interesting journey uh, but very challenging one as well 
So as you mentioned, I joined the company on 1st of April, right when the country actually had entered the lockdown. Yes. yes. And, uh, you know, travel basically had come crashing down to zero, right? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think the last 12 months has been one of the most challenging uh, phases for Make My Trip, but also for the entire travel sector. I think this crisis was unprecedented. Um, so, yeah, I think managing this crisis and rethinking about the products in the travel space um, and like, you know, helping customers still meet their requirements and building something which they find value in, in terms of this new normal has been a very rewarding experience and, and full of learning. I'm sure if you look, look at it in hindsight, it, it possibly has been and, and we'll talk about it. But was that the same thought going on in your mind when you decided uh, or when you were just getting in uh, to a sector that was that was massively hit and evidently so was were, were the same thoughts in your mind at that time just as an individual the last 10 days before you joined in yeah so i think it had become clear that before i joined that this sector would be impacted and there was actually a huge impact yeah uh, i think travel was i think covid 19 actually has had an impact on all pretty much it has, all it has. travel probably is one of the hardest hit Right. For sure. Yeah. Um, and if you yeah. look at it, you know, over the last couple of decades, travel actually has seen consistent growth. Be it despite being, you know, despite the 2009 financial crisis, yes, or the SARS and the swine flu and the other epidemics. I mean, there were blips, but it actually consistently grown. Yeah. But this one was different, right? Because if you look at the data in April, May, you know, travel came crashing down. Uh, if you look at the flights and bookings data in US, it came crashing down to less than five percent. Two thirds of the world's aircraft fleet were grounded. 18 airlines had filed for bankruptcy. And then even if you look at India, I mean, the situation was no different. There was more than 90% dip in revenues in the aviation sector, more than 6 billion in losses in the hotel segment. And the overall customer sentiment for travel was hugely negative. Like, sure. I mean, we actually measured this through a score called travel sentiment score, much okay. like the net promoter score, you know, difference between promoters and detractors. And how do you, how do you get that? So we actually did a survey and we basically asked customers like, you know, how likely they are going to be traveling in the next one or two months. Yeah. Wow. And it was a difference between people who said very likely to like not likely at yeah. all. Yeah. And this score yeah. was actually negative 40% at that time. This is, you know, I'm talking yeah. about like, you know, April, May timeframe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so a huge, huge like sort of black swan event for the travel sector, um, significant impact uh, across all the major lines of businesses. And, and, uh, and is this what the impact was overall in terms of what the industry faced? Because people sitting at home as customers or people who read the or get more information from the news, uh, you can make assumptions and you've actually been in the thick of things, right? Uh, how, how challenging was it uh, back in the teams to be able to uh, move past every single day? Were you all still looking at innovation as as a product or were you looking at just circumventing everything that's just happening by by just being, by staying still? Yeah, so I think initially, you know, our response was, okay, how do we actually help, you know, the society and the community, like, you know, deal with this crisis and yeah. as a responsible brand, like, you know, what is our role? Yeah. And so we actually were involved in various initiatives, whether it is like, you know, uh, stays for saviors. We are providing stays at discounted rates for frontline yes, workers, yes. even partnering with the government in the Vande Bharat, right? But after that, the focus shifted to you know as travel started to return, how yeah. it would return, and what will be the new customer requirements when travel would would return, and really actually understanding those requirements well, so that like you know we can sort of rebuild our products to meet those customer requirements. I that was the focus in the first few months. I remember, I remember the unlockdown sort of happening in phases and, yeah. and gradually there were bursts of travel, especially with, with international airlines starting to bring say, uh, countrymen first back in the country. And then, you know, some bit of movement on, uh, on, uh, on road travel as well and hotels opening up. So what were those phases and what was, how was recovery like for this sector at that point of time? Yeah. So, um, you know, when we actually talked to customers and we did like you know, a lot of research um, and we were also looking at like, you know, other countries like, you know, China, which were ahead, uh, yes. you know, in terms of their recovery and, yeah. you know, cases, you know, being under control. So they were actually like, you know, sort of like five phases of recovery um, that, that like, you know, we had projected and it has pretty much panned out that way. So 
if you look at it, the first phase of recovery when the unlockdown actually happened, as you mentioned, yeah. I think it actually happened in June, the first unlockdown. Yes, yes, yes. The first phase of recovery would have been, you know, people, essentially travel, right? People who were actually stuck, whether it was students who were stuck on their university campuses yes. or migrant workers, wherever they yeah. they want to return to their hometown. So that would be essential yeah. travel. The second phase would be your more SME business travel. So yeah. not the corporate travel, but like, you know, small uh, businesses, traders going to kind of nearby towns to meet their suppliers and customers as things yeah. start to open up. The third would be a very interesting one is short distance travel. So leisure yeah. would come, but like, you know, more about nearby. As Just in, in and around where you're staying. Yeah, exactly. Within yeah. a certain driving, driving distance. I think I began traveling at that phase. <laughs> You did? Okay. Yeah. And actually, yeah. like, you, know, you know, that was something, you know, we saw that two thirds of our bookings were actually happening within a radius of 300 kilometers, right? So okay. there was clearly a customer need and like, you know, uh, there's a product that we actually had launched on that, you know, which we can wow. discuss. Um, and then like, you know, it was domestic travel, leisure travel, phase four, and that's yeah. probably where we are right now. And yeah. international travel would be the last phase. Um, and there's some international travel happening with Dubai and Maldives, but it's very, very yeah. limited. Yeah. So leisure has returned. Domestic travel is actually happening, but we're still far from like you know full recovery. Yeah, yeah. And and when you talk about say a very large organization like a Make My Trip, which is which is largely uh, where people are actually dependent to even check if travel is on more than the news, right? If if flights are even operational, if I can even book my hotels. What was what was the product strategy like? Was it aligned with some of these phases? How did you? How did you reimagine the product behaving at that point of time? Yeah, and you know, it was a journey like Saksham, you know, it's not like at one point in time, let's say in a month that, you know, we actually had the answer. We were also like, you know, reacting to the situation and to how customers were thinking. But one of the good things I would say that we have done throughout this crisis is like, you know, being in constant touch with our customers. Yeah. And yeah. really, really understanding, you know, their requirements, their psyche, how they were thinking about the travel, or yeah. they were thinking about uh, where to go, uh, the overall sentiment, and yeah. what, to your point, what they were looking from us as a trustworthy yeah. brand, right? Yes, absolutely. Through these conversations, you know, there were actually like you know, three main sort of requirements, and you know, none of this would surprise anyone, but the three main requirements that actually came through. The first one, of course, the paramount one was on safety and assurance. So when I travel, how can you assure me that it's going to be safe? The, yeah. the, the flights that I take, the cab that I like, you know, use, the hotel that I stay in. Yeah. So that was paramount. I think more than 60% of the customers rated safety and hygiene as the most critical decision factor, right? In and this decision. is something again through customer service that, that you all were checking at all points of time. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we actually did this like, you know, we have done seven or eight waves of these this research just to kind of understand nice. the moment yeah. and these yeah. dimensions. Yeah. Second key need was on flexibility. Again, no surprises, right? Because things were evolving, new restrictions being imposed, yeah. lockdown, containment zones, God forbid if somebody in the family or the customer themselves got infected. So they wanted more flexibility in their travel plan, right? Yeah. yeah. So that was the second need. Yeah. The third one, which I think you also touched upon was a little bit more guidance and hand-holding because the customers were also like, you know, very confused. We all were confused in terms of yeah. whether it is safe to travel, if it's safe to travel, where we should go, all of that. So they were also looking for information and guidance uh, from brands like ours. So these were the three main needs that actually came through. And did that mean you had to create layers on top of the existing product to cater to some of these needs? Because I see that the product quite obviously has evolved. There are now sections that, that aptly focus on on hygiene and safety, you know, and, and cancellations is a large part of what's more visible to the customer and the rules have become slightly more easier. Insurances have, have increased far more. Uh, the COVID insurances come in and I've traveled extensively in the past three months and that's how I know. Uh, so, uh, so what, what did new layers come on top of the existing product uh, that had to come yeah, so back? Were, sure. There were, there were both types of uh, products that we built. So some were actually like, you know, more enhancements, you know, um, customizations on existing products. And some were like, you know, totally new products. For example, the nearby getaways that we launched was a totally sort of new product, right? Um, but the products that we built, like to talk about, for example, the first one, safety and assurance. Um, it was basically about working, for example, in the hotel space, working with our hotel partners, 
creating a safety and assurance program to say that these hotels are actually meeting all of these safety and hygiene measures. You know, they actually have sanitization done in the rooms, there's social distancing, there's temperature screening, everybody is wearing masks, you know, there's a sanitizer in the elevator, et cetera, et cetera. So we created a checklist and we actually gave these properties a badge. Uh, it was called My Safety on uh, Make My Trip and then, you know, Go Safe on Go Ibibo. And so through that, I mean, we saw that a lot of customers actually started to book these properties, you know, because of that assurance, right? We also, uh, one of the other things that came through customer research was, okay, these are the things the hotel is saying that they are taking in terms of steps, but how do we know for sure that they're doing it? And so that's another thing, you know, another level of assurance that we actually worked on. So we actually worked with the third party to do an audit on these properties to actually like certify that the hotel is taking all of these measures. And we also leverage crowdsource data a lot more. So as like, you know, you said you have started to travel, a lot of people yeah. started to travel and staying in these properties. Yeah. We leverage, you know, user reviews, traveler images on safety and hygiene. We create a new score called like, you know, safety and hygiene score, which is all based on feedback that we got from the customers to kind of provide a next level of assurance that this is what the hotel is saying, but look at, you know, all of these things with the actual travelers who yeah. stated these properties are saying, and there's a score, their pictures, their videos, which gave customers sort of like a, you know, another level yeah. of experience and comfort about staying at yeah. these properties. Yeah. And then the third thing that we did was, you know, we sort of leverage social proofing, right? So you'll be more comfortable if you know that, you know, a so many of your friends actually have traveled, right? Yeah. So we started yeah. to show, for example, like, you know, more than 50,000 people have traveled to Goa in the, in the yeah. last X months or whatever. Or yeah. so many people actually have booked at this property, booked this property and stayed at this property. So through that, so social proofing as well, that yeah. is another form of assurance that we try yeah. to build for the customer. Sure. No, now, now that I look back, I think it brings me uh, possibly to this conclusion that you joining Make My Trip yeah, at the outburst of the pandemic was was a more, uh, more challenged role than you would have ever imagined it to be. There were so many new things that were happening beyond just growing the business there was just reigniting everything that had gone down and and product played a large role uh, and you and you constantly harp and mention on on trust and assurance and safety uh, uh, what is the what is the role that some of these parameters play in in say overall building great products in today's time and and maybe travels one of those examples how do you really build or think uh, from a customer's mindset that am I, is this safe for me? And not just from a hygiene standpoint, but safe for transactions, safe for payments. Uh, is, is there a way you can build trust in a product? Yeah, and you know, it, it's probably the most important thing and it become even more important during this time section that customers should actually trust us in terms of the information we were sharing, um, you know, yes, uh, yeah. the, the certification that we were giving, um, uh, the kind of properties and the places we were recommending. Yeah. So it became even more important, right? Yeah. So things like, for example, we maintained this uh, page called travel information page where you could go as a customer and then, you know, you can just select wherever you want to go, like whichever state and you would get updated, you know, real time accurate information about, okay, what are the travel restrictions in that state? What documents I need to carry? Yeah. Uh, is there any quarantine requirements? So yeah, that is one yeah. thing that we actually did. Like I talked about, like in you know, a lot of like, you know, uh, crowdsourcing and social proofing was the other thing that yeah. we did. And the third thing that we actually worked on was how do we actually guide the customers? So yeah. talking about the trend of, you know, short distance, right? Yeah. So this was a requirement where the customers were actually like, you know, comfortable traveling, going out in their car and staying at a property. They were not comfortable taking a flight or like, you know, sure. going farther away. So what we did was we actually launched a totally new product called nearby getaways. Uh, yes. And yeah. with that, you could actually like, you know, see properties which were within a driving distance. And, you know, you would see like, you know, the safety uh, aspect, you would see, you know, of course the price and the package they were actually offering. You could see all of that in a very transparent, transparent manner. And you would actually, again, show the safety and hygiene score, score the review since lockdown, all of that. And it also gave, a lot of trust and assurance to the customer that these are the nearby properties like you know where we can where i can stay yeah. and yeah. this actually had to be totally reimagined because if you look at our uh, what we call it the funnel 
it's always tied to a city. So Saksham wants to go to Goa, he'll search for hotels sure. in Goa. Sure. Right? It doesn't like you know take into account where Saksham's location is, right? Yeah. And yeah. it is specific to a city, and the ranking is also. So we had to reimagine this product where yeah. it was a city-less funnel. Yeah. So regardless of where the properties are, if you're in Delhi, it will show you properties within let's say 300 kilometers of your driving yeah. distance, yeah. right? And it would be in different cities. The ranking would be different. The filters, for example, we introduced distance filters in the in the property. So all of these things actually help customers explore safe properties near to them for this new use case where it was not they were going to a city or a destination. They yeah. just want to take a break and step out, take their own cars out, go with their families, just relax at the property. So I think, uh, you know, again, understanding those customer needs and sort of rebuilding the product also was very, very important. So to answer your question, trust in general is very, very important and more so in travel because just imagine like, you know, you order something on e-commerce and the you know, product is not right versus yeah. you book a property yeah. and the experience is not right. The stakes are much higher when it comes to like you yeah. know, travel and like, sure. because it's very emotional kind of a thing. Sure. So this was even more important for us during this phase to build that stronger level of trust and assurance with the customers. Yeah. Are you, are you someone who personally traveled uh, either individually for work or with your family in the past few months? Yeah. Yeah. So there have been like in a few, um, so there was actually one business trip and then also we haven't traveled outside Bangalore as a family, but like, you know, we yeah. have sort of gone nearby. So you've actually explored everything that is in a driving distance. Yeah. yeah. So we have gone nearby and also we have gone on a few treks which are relatively safer, more remote. remote yeah. 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 Is how, how challenging or easy has it been to acquire or retain customers vis-a-vis what was happening before, say the onset of uh, the pandemic, has it been more challenging to acquire and retain customers right now? Or was it more challenging before? I would say, um, I think retaining customers in terms of customers coming back and like, you know, booking travel again, of course, has been a challenge because just in yeah. terms of overall demand for travel yeah. and travel was actually lesser. But what we, our approach was that whenever customers actually is comfortable about traveling again, when things open up, right, we wanted to be there as the brand for them so that they actually come to us. And that's why building all of these capabilities. Yeah. I mean, one of the silver lining, if I were to say, of this sort of whole crisis, Saksham, has been that on the product side, we could actually focus on these foundational things, you know, these fundamental solves, really thinking about customer experience and taking it to the next level, building the next level of trust, building like, you know, new discovery sort of mechanisms like nearby getaways, having richer information about the property. So we actually focused on a lot of these foundational things and we could do that because, you know, there was not much demand and much like yeah. business pressure. And so we could focus on these core problems. And so when travel came back, right, you know, let's say in Q3 and Q4, our product experience um, was actually like, you know, at a, at a, at a better level, kind uh, of serve the customers, right? So that has been like, you know, one of the silver lining in, in terms of, we were not forcing the customer that they should travel. We were being very transparent in terms of, hey, you know, this is all the information. Yeah. This is, uh, these yeah. are the properties and this is what measures they're taking. Yeah. But whenever you're ready to travel, you know, whenever you're ready to kind of travel again, yeah. we were focusing on providing a better experience for the customers compared to like, you know, pre, pre COVID. I feel businesses like yours and so many others who had, uh, uh, say pivots to make in the past few months have, uh, have had two things on top of their list. One of that has been, how do I stay relevant? to my customer, even though he or she might not be using the product actively today. And, and, and I think that's something that, uh, that you, by virtue of so many examples said, that you stayed relevant. So even when travel returns, you become the go-to brand for people to come to. And perhaps the second thing has been relatability. Can the customer relate in some way to the product? Can the product empathize with the customer in some way? Because the challenges that you face as an individual, if if they if they are resonated as solutions in the product, you're more likely to build that factor of trust and assurance into it, and especially in times like these. Yeah, absolutely, and that's where like you know being in constant touch with the customers really understand like, like I said their psyche as well and how they were thinking about it. We are all travelers as well, so putting ourselves into the customer's shoes and saying that hey, if I want to kind of go to a nearby place, 
what would be my top of mind right uh, yeah. in terms of like you know key factors and making sure that we actually work on bringing that information that content that experience into our shopping experience sure. i think was was one of the one of the right things that we actually did during this space right right very interesting so uh, so couple where where are we on travel uh, where is where is the industry heading now what are some of the larger changes or innovations that one can expect uh, you know from the products itself in in the travel industry yeah so i think where we are um, you know it is definitely much better than like you know probably an year ago uh, yeah. as i mentioned we are probably in phase 4 lot of like you know leisure travel domestic travel is actually happening yeah. i think international and corporate is still like you know some ways to go yeah if you look at the recovery i think we have seen pretty good recovery across our major lines of businesses uh, whether it is flights hotels ground transport i think 45 to 50% recovery as of last quarter like you know, as of like december um and you know we are pretty bullish in terms of the overall opportunity for online travel and it's pretty lucrative one of the tailwinds of course has been lot of people actually have come online yeah. right during this pandemic uh, sure. they are actually transacting online like you know for example buying groceries or ordering things right so that's also a tailwind not just for us but i think for the overall like you know e-commerce sector in general yes yes also thinking about how do we actually build products uh, for for this for this new segment wow and so, so that's where where we are and i think the overall sentiment also has improved i mean if you think back yes. about the travel sentiment score that i mentioned from i think negative 40% not is more like you know 9% as per the latest survey that we have done so things are actually looking 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 uh, so 9% what is what is the what does that signify what is 9% of of customer sentiment what does it mean think about this way there are more customers who are likely to travel in the next one to two months compared to customers who are not likely to travel i mean it was just the reverse uh, sure. you know probably like you know 10 11 months ago sure the overall sentiment is positive and sure. we expect that i mean with the vaccination coming in um you know it will only improve and the overall sentiment improves as you know regions open up international destinations open up this will only this will only go up but in terms of how travel you know travel would still be different all the travel would return and will go from this 45 to 50% to more and more in terms of recovery but i also think that travel is going to be different there's certain things you know which will sort of become the new normal you know yes. contactless aspects right yeah. we launched a product called contactless check in for hotels yeah. Yeah. much like you know your web check in so the customer yeah. could actually like, do all of those check in formalities even before they reach the hotel sure this would be one where you know beyond check in it would be like you know contactless food ordering and contactless yeah. like you know stay etc so those things will actually uh, be very important in terms of i think uh, the the nearby getaways and weekend getaways i think this phenomena is here to stay and you uh, think so i i i think so i think so because actually even before uh, covid struck i think we actually had a good 40% of our bookings which were actually like you know close by but the discovery was not that great i think the mindset changed about nearby getaways which earlier used to be i'm going to do it cuz cuz i just have a weekend at hand and yeah. now it's more need of the hour and because i don't want to take a risk of traveling far off and in a flight i want to just take a road trip nearby and that will you're right will start to become part of the travel routine from here on absolutely the other thing that i think you know is already happening and will become stronger is uh, i think this uh, um preference for alternate accommodation what we like to call alternate accommodation so rather than staying in hotels lot of customers would actually yes. choose to stay in villas apartments yeah um and especially i think the younger sort of folks uh because they, they want to travel yeah. with the group they want to have a yeah. you know uh, relaxing More inclusive setup yeah yeah and they yeah. can actually have all of that in a private apartment or a villa yeah so i think that's another segment that will continue to grow but i think the safety and hygiene will still continue to remain paramount and it has actually come through our survey as well where yes customers are more optimistic the sentiment is better but they still like you know very they don't want to lower their guard when it comes yeah. to safety and hygiene whenever they start to travel next yeah is uh, so i i i'm i'm hearing a lot of technology getting embedded into into day to day lives when it comes to travel and and products like yours are sort of taking that step ahead to to open and lead the industry in some way right uh, and you and you touched upon alternate travel 
what is what is the future of this segment of alternate travel and how much do you think it can grow beyond traditional hotels because i also see a lot of hotels now uh changing themselves whether it's the upholstery whether it's the booking the way they book uh longer stays you know durations uh more autonomy to customers uh towards an alternate stay uh mechanism is that something that you think is going to shape into one of the large pillars of how the industry shapes up i think so i think so now it's not that the the, the need for hotels will go away definitely yeah. but i think this segment as a whole would actually like you know grow and i would say ki like you know more and more use cases or now it could yeah. be that like i said the youth it could be you know families you know who are traveling together and let's say they want sure. to have a family reunion or a birthday party right yeah uh, or it could be that uh, you know a uh, few couples like you know who are traveling together and like you know just want to be able to stay in the apartment long stay is another use case where especially these days a lot of people are actually like you know just so fed up with stuck at home they are actually like you know just booking an apartment or a villa for a month Uh, yeah. And they are sort of like you know working from there because you know you can basically work from anywhere, right? Yeah. So a lot of people are actually doing that as well. So I think there are all of these use cases which are emerging. The second thing is if you look in India, I mean a lot of these people who actually traveled abroad, yeah. uh, that segment actually got exposed to this and they actually stayed in these apartments and villas abroad. And now like you know even when they're thinking of domestic travel in India, they're also looking at these options. Yeah. So I think this segment like you know we are pretty bullish on this segment and this actually will grow. and that's why a lot of our product investments are also focused on improving the the booking experience for an alternate accommodation because the needs yeah. are very different sure um, for a customer who's looking to book a villa versus a hotel i mean there are some common needs in terms of hey you know what is the you know user rating and you know pictures and amenities but to give you one example you know host is very very important when you're booking yeah. a villa Yeah. as to who the host is how professional they are what is the host yeah. rating right whether there is a caretaker at the property these are all aspects which become important and so we are actually working on the product front to actually bring out these aspects lot more clearly and to bring yeah. that stronger level of again trust and assurance for this particular segment sure sure so what is uh, getting back at home what is the sort of work culture in in a product team at at make my trip how what are the kind of challenges you face on a day to day basis as you as a product leader individually and what does your what does your typical week look like what are the things that you are handling yeah i think there is no typical week <laughs> that's what i would say i think sort of every week is like a new one especially i think in these times because yeah. like i said we were also evolving and reacting yeah but yeah i think uh, you know in terms of uh, working remotely um, you know it has been a it has been a change which everyone actually had to adapt to and um, you know few things have changed so there are no hallway conversations there are no whiteboard discussions there is no like sort of that informal catch up over a cup of coffee it's all has been replaced by zoom meetings and so this has actually required us to do like you know more extensive planning um because everything is actually happening remotely so everybody is on the same page more extensive product documentation uh because you know it's basically that's the single source of truth in terms of what you want to build why you want to build so that product engineering design everybody is on the same page um and yeah i think just having more discipline about like you know when does the day start when does the day end because the line blurs like when you're yes. at home doing you know zoom meetings uh so yeah i think just having oh you're doing just so many meetings that you don't have time left for doing anything by yourself individually Yeah, and there is no cut off time in terms of hey, okay, I'm done with the day. I'm just gonna go home now because you're actually at yeah. home, just doing yeah. these meetings. Yeah. So yeah. it has, but I think kudos to the team in terms of how they actually have come together and delivered on a pretty packed roadmap during yeah. these last uh, few quarters. Do you think? Do you think the work from home culture, while of course it may not stay forever, or it may, and that's a debate that we're not getting into right now. But but do you think the work from home culture uh, is it detrimental or is it Uh, is it encouraging for creativity in a design team yeah so you know i'll give you my personal opinion sure. i think a hybrid a kind of an approach actually actually works better there's a lot of value in people you know in the same physical environment yeah. and office yeah um, so just recently when i traveled um, and actually was meeting a lot of my team for the first time um although it was like you know half a day 
Yeah. But the level of interaction and the speed of decision making, etc., is much faster when you're actually yeah. like in the same environment yeah. and like you know, you're interacting in person. But at the same time, there is actually value in that flexibility and also, uh, you know, from product management perspective, a day where you can, like, you know, do not have any meetings. You basically have a day where you're working from home, doing more thinking work, writing product documentation, planning the roadmap, maybe going out in the field and like, you know, meeting customers. So try to institute some of those uh, in my previous companies as well, where there's like a day where people can choose not to come to office and like, you know, do uh, these various things either from home and like you know go and meet customers and that has actually worked pretty well so i think it's going to be a hybrid uh, i don't think like you know um, office and people coming to office which is going to go away uh, as things improve i think that will actually return but maybe we'll be like you know in that hybrid uh, culture and we a lot more organizations and a lot more individuals will be okay with like you know people like you know working from home regularly yeah. once a week or once in two weeks or so have you all have you all adopted a lot of technology tools to bridge that gap of physical connect? Yeah, so I think you know Zoom, like you know your uh, you know shared drives, uh, OneDrive, all of these like you know Slack, all of these actually have been tools which are already there, and I think probably we're actually like the dependency has increased, and the dependency has increased, and we are actually using them at the at the next level in terms of collaboration. Wow. So, uh, so Kapil, I, I want to ask this one question that's been perennially on every product head's mind. Uh, is there a gap that you see, it could be in your team or outside, between engineering and design? Uh, and usually because ideas are starkly different and the, and the drivers are starkly different. One is driven by business decisions, one is driven by more customer empathy. Is there a way that you can bridge the gap between the two? Yeah, good question. So, um, and I think that's where the product manager comes in. Like, you know, he yeah. or she is that central point, like, you know, who basically brings together all of these teams, whether it is engineering, yeah. design, data science. Yeah. And uh, an effective product manager, what they do is um, they don't just talk about the features and the products that they want to build, but they also talk about the why. And, you know, what is the customer problem that they're solving? And, and the second aspect is key, where do they want to go in the long term? Right, yeah. not just like you know this feature for this sprint, but rather more of the long-term vision. Right. Sure, but sure. That is very, very important to bring together all the teams to understand. Okay, why are we actually working on this feature and this product versus something else, and yeah. how does it actually like you know contribute towards where we want to go as an organization? Yeah. So I think sure. that is very, very important, and that's the role that the PM actually has to play. Are there, are there some of those key traits or aspects that you look for when hiring a project manager? Uh, you mean product manager? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think there are some some things you know which are sort of like table stakes. As I mentioned, you know, problem solving is very very core to product management. Customer understanding, analytical skills, um, you know, technical understanding because that will make you effective in terms of working with engineering. I mean, you don't have to be a coder, but you actually need to understand the systems at some depth. Okay. So that like, you know, you understand what is feasible, how much effort things will take. So those are sort of like, you know, more, I would say table stakes. But if you were to ask me, I think the spikes that I look for uh, personally um, is I, first of all, customer understanding and not just like, you know, talking to customers and understand their requirements, but a deeper understanding of the customers sure. where as a product manager, you should have a lot of clarity on, you know, the who, what, and why. Yeah. Um, who is the customer that you're building the product for? Who is the user? Whether in the B2B space, is it a large enterprise? Is it a small, medium-sized uh, company? Um, is it um, a tech-savvy customer in the you know in the metro cities, or is it like you know uh, somebody who doesn't uh, understand English and like you know need Hindi support? So having a very good understanding of who your customer is, the what part is what products you are building and what problems you are solving for them. Yeah. The why is, you know, why this problem or this product versus the other, and that's where prioritization yeah. comes in. So a product manager who's very, very clear about this, and they can even understand things which the customers are not telling them, sort of the unarticulated needs of the customer, right? Uh, yeah. So a deeper understanding. I the think, customer. yeah, that's, that's the, that's the, that's very important. I think that's something that, that a lot of people miss out on what, your, what the customer is not telling you. And I think, uh, with the with with the things like the service that you are doing, a lot of that comes out essentially out in the open. 
as to what the customer is thinking rather than having a presumptuous approach on here's how I feel my customer would react at this point of time. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where I think like, you know, talking to customers, I mean, one of the things, for example, that we have done is we have this consumer pulse program. So every month, you know, all members of the product team actually go out. Well, not go out these days. I mean, they're doing these meetings on Zoom these days. Yeah. But actually, like, you know, in a normal setup, they would actually go out and meet customers yeah. and just actually, like, you know, have conversation, understand how they use the product. Uh, sometimes, you know, we would pick a specific topic where we want to dive deep. So I think that is very, very important in the overall <clears throat> discovery phase. I think it's also important, as I mentioned, to actually have a longer term vision. So that's yeah. what I, one of the things I want to check on is, is the person clear about where they want to take the product in the next sure. let's say, 12 months, as opposed to sure. the here and now problems. Sure. And then I'll, I think I would say the third thing is prioritization. I mean, brutal, brutal prioritization because yeah. as PMs, you always have more than like, you know, what you can chew yeah. and the art of saying no, like, you know, saying no to more things than yeah. you say yes to, it's also yeah. going to be very, very, very important. Yeah. I think not only does that answer give more like a guideline or a rule book for what an ideal PM should be doing. Uh, but also maybe if someone's looking to uh, apply to make my trip in a PM role, this is, this is your answer. Uh, this is, this, this is what Kapil looks for, but uh, great. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get out of the work zone and get into a little more of you as an individual. Our last segment is, is called beyond the grid and here I'm going to just get to know, uh, and, and, and essentially for everyone else to get to know who Kapil really is, right? So if, if there was a choice, uh, that was given to you, are you more of uh, a paperback person or are you more of a podcast person now? I'm doing both these days. Um, I, there is a little bit more time on weekends, especially yes. because we're yes. all stuck in our houses. So I'm doing both. Is there, is there a recommendation that you have for a book and a podcast that you can give out? Yeah, I think, um, a few books and podcasts. Uh, so one of the books that I'm reading these days is uh, Atomic Habits by James Clear. Yeah. Right? Um, and you know, he, basically he talks about how to build good habits and get rid of bad habits. A lot yeah. of books actually have been written and I'm still reading it. But I think one of the things I like, like about this book is this very uh, specific and tactical advice in terms of things that you can implement in your daily routine. Yeah. Yeah. Like for example, one of the things he talks about is like habit stacking. If you want yeah. to build a habit, pair it with an existing habit which you already do, right? Yeah. And that will make the adoption of the new habit easier. So he calls yeah. it habit stacking. Yeah. That's one. Um, there is deep work by Cal Newport, uh, yeah. which I really like. I mean, we all live in this environment. There's yeah. so much distraction. And so this, how do you actually focus on the project yeah. that you're doing, the task at hand? Yeah. That's a good one. Um, Hooked by Nireyal was another one that I really like, which I read recently. Yeah. In terms of podcasts, uh, so I'm trying out a few. I, I think there are a couple of them which I liked. Uh, one is the Knowledge Project by Dan Parrish. Yeah. I don't know if you've heard of it, but basically this guy, um, sorry, not Dan Parrish, I think Shane Parrish, I think I'm getting his name wrong. So he was actually a cybersecurity expert at a Canadian intelligence um, you know, agency. And then like you know, he was blogging and his blogs became really popular and it started this podcast. And basically he talks about like mental models and decision making and he gets a lot of guests who are authors, you know, um, founders, business folks. And he has very, very deep conversation. I mean, typically his podcast is like, I think 90 minutes or, so, or even yeah. higher. Yeah. So that's a good one. I also like Seed uh, to Scale. I think it's an Excel podcast. Uh, so they actually talk to Indian ecosystem startup founders, VCs. Yeah. That's a good one. Um, so I think these are some of the books and podcasts. I think uh, I'm able to relate to this, uh, all of these choices so massively. I, I, I've read all of these books that you said, and I actually am, I'm an avid uh, listener to each of these podcasts uh, because I consume both. But, but books for me, so even though I, I, I don't get a hard copy like a paperback, I'll be reading it on, like we say, the online version of it, right? Or I'll go, I'll get into audiobooks. And, and if you haven't, then, uh, and James should probably give me some credit for this. You should subscribe to James Clear's uh, newsletters. They are, I, uh, you I, do. I, they I are, have already. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, they are very bite-sized and, uh, and they're great. Like they just uh, cheer you up every single week, the three day yeah. one newsletter. Yeah. They're pretty good. Amazing. Great. Uh, is there, is there some sort of a hobby that you picked up while you were staying at home? That was, that you've been wanting to do for a while. 
Yeah, you know, uh, I think yeah, as I mentioned, so a little bit more reading um, and then um, you know podcasts and listening and all of that stuff. So more time for that. Uh, I think in terms of yeah, I'm I'm cooking a lot more, right? Um, I know that. I know that. Nice. Yeah, and uh, I like it. It's also kind of a bit therapeutic, you know, like it is chopping vegetables and like you know marinating and all that stuff and cooking. It is. It is. And uh, I think kids, my kids, like what I prepare. So yeah, it's it's, it's good in that sense. Um, nice. Another one is uh, a trekking, as I mentioned. So. We're in Bangalore and there are a lot of yeah. like you know, nice trekking spots yes. like Yandi yes. Hills and you know Savandurga. So yeah. it's also like a good quality time that you can spend with the family and um, it's also relatively safer because yeah. it's pretty good. Safer, yeah. healthier. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It has everything that, that you can get in a package right now. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. So if uh, like one parting advice, uh, couple before we wrap this up uh, that you would like to give to say product leaders in other companies or just anyone in the product field that you've learned out of your experience. One, one thing that has stayed with you. Yeah, I, I think we touched upon some of these, um, you know, in, in the earlier Q and a, um, but if there is one thing I would, uh, one takeaway or one piece of advice I would like to give product leaders is, um, and focus on the customer, uh, everything else will follow. Right. And I know it sounds like a cliche, but it's actually true. Yeah. Uh, so I would mean, do all it takes to develop a very, very yeah. deep understanding of your customers, go and yeah. meet with them in their homes, yeah. at their workplace. Don't actually take what they say in face value, actually see yeah. them using the product, really understand sort of read between the lines and understand, um, you know, what they're looking for, what they're saying, what they might not be saying. Um, so I think that is probably like, you know, one thing which, uh, I think a PM can really excel at sure. and that is like really at the heart of product management because once you do that, everything else follows in terms of, Hey, what problems do they have and what problems sure. I should solve for them, et cetera, et cetera. And that's, that's who you're building your product for essentially. Yeah. And you know, like Jobs said that, uh, Steve jobs get closer than ever to your customers. So close that you will tell them what they need even before they realize it themselves. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I think this again goes back to really understanding your customers at such a deep level that you're not relying on them to come up with solutions. I mean, that's your job as a product. It's a more proactive approach. Yeah. And then like, you know, you are actually building delighters and a delightful experience for your customers. Yeah. Uh, I think that's the one piece of advice I would, I would give. Great. I think uh, we, 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 we crossed such varied spectrums, but rightly so, because uh, we were talking about an industry that saw such uh, a huge shift in what it used to be. Uh, I think this has been such an enriching conversation, Kapil. Uh, thank you so much for being on Design Grid. It was absolutely lovely having you. Thank you very much, Saksham. I really enjoyed our conversation and hopefully like you know, your listeners actually find this uh, useful. For sure.